Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, October 5th, 2014. Today's message is More Than a Day by Dr. Lyle Schrag, based on Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And would you pray together with me? This is the day that you have made, O Lord our God. And it is a day in our hearts that we set aside to worship you and to honor you. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, but Lord, even more, let us know that you are the God who has created the days of days, the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun, and from day to day into all eternity, you are the God of all days. And help us know, Lord, that in the in the rejoicing that we do this day, how to live our lives in the rejoicing in your presence forever. So that, Lord, as we know how to live together with you, we might know what it is to have a heart that is refreshed and a life, Lord, that is renewed and a faith, Lord, that is strengthened more and more. So we give ourselves here now, Lord, in obedience to your claim in our lives to hear what you desire most. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now this morning I'm going to invite you to return with me to the uh, Ten Commandments as we turn to Exodus chapter 20. And there we come to the fourth commandment. And you heard it read to you this morning. And it begins this way in verse 8. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. I don't know if it would surprise you, it did surprise me a bit when I first began to study this, that this is probably the most controversial commandment found in the books. I mean, on the surface, the commandment struck me as being something really fairly simple and very straightforward. And yet, of the ten commandments that we have, this one has generated more debate and more division and more dispute than any of the rest. Some argue over the precise timing for what constitutes the Sabbath. Is it Saturday? Is it Shabbat? Is it Sunday in honor of the resurrection? Or is it even a day? Uh, Those are the questions as old as the New Testament. When you read in the book of Romans in chapter 14, it's as if Paul, in facing that debate, has left shaking his head over the debate as he writes, he says, one man considers one day more sacred than another, another man considers every day alike, everyone should be fully convinced in his own mind. This debate is swirling. Now some argue over the proper way in which to observe the Sabbath. And it's been my experience that this debate is the one that generates probably the strongest opinions and the heated positions and the most uh, hurt feelings. I remember as a kid growing up in a community that shut down completely on Sundays. Uh, We had blue laws that closed down all the uh, uh, stores in town, and there were times when my buddies and I would actually get shooed out of the Park District Park uh, by police because we were playing a pickup baseball game on a Sunday afternoon. And then when we got home, we got scolded. I I know it may sound strange today, especially whenever soccer leagues seem to have picked Sunday as their time, but there are some who interpreted the Fourth Commandment to mean this. Thou shalt not enjoy life on Sunday. 
Michael Moriarty, he tells the story of a pastor of a very strict Scottish Presbyterian church who had to, on his circuits, had to travel some distance to his parish church. And on one winter Sunday there in Scotland, there had been an ice storm and everything, including the local river, had been frozen up. And so with no other choice, he decided to skate his way to church. And when the parishioners showed up at the church, they were surprised to find their pastor on skates, shivering but ready to worship. But before the service began, the elders decided they needed to, to meet to decide whether or not the pastor should have been skating on Sunday. So after a lengthy debate on the keeping of the Sabbath, they finally asked the groundbreaking question of the pastor. Pastor, we need to know this. Did you enjoy skating on the river? <laughs> Somehow, somewhere, for some, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, and fun were made to be mutually exclusive. And I'll be honest, that disturbs me. Not just because of the effect that it has on others. I've noticed that there are a number of books out by fairly outspoken atheists condemning Christianity. And as I've read a few, I've also noticed that a majority of them trace their atheism to childhood memories of endless and dull and very bleak Sundays. And that's too bad. Somehow the debate has forgotten the purpose of this fourth commandment. But then again, there's also a problem uh, as old as the New Testament. In fact, that was the reason why Jesus had to make it very clear in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, when he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you and for me. And is filled with God's intentions. As I've been doing research and studying the Ten Commandments, one of the more delightful books that I have found in my studies is written by Joy Davidman. It was entitled Smoke on the Mountain. In case you don't know who Joy Davidman is, uh, she, she was, was the wife of C.S. Lewis. And according to, to, to him, her name, Joy, Joy Davidson, just epitomized her character. In fact, he wrote a book about his love for her and her love for the Lord, and he called it Surprise by Joy. But as Joy Davidson writes in her book, Smoke in the Mountain of the Fourth Commandment, she cuts right to the heart of the Sabbath. When she writes this, she says, On this one day, man returns to Eden. The curse of Adam was lifted, the primal fall undone somewhat, and all creatures are caught in the glimmering of the paradisical state in which everything God has made is very good. And on this one day, man was commanded to enjoy himself. She goes on to write, and this is true. In the early years of Israel, men celebrated the Sabbath as a feast in just this spirit of joy. With the rise of an organized and legalistic priesthood, however, the day of gladness and rejoicing soon gave way to a day of discipline. And in Christ's time, there had accrued to it 1,521 things one could not do on the Sabbath. Hence the deed of correction from the lips of Jesus that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Because you see, God intended something completely different. And he intends it to be something good for you and for me, especially in relationship with him, in an Eden sort of relationship. Keep that one in mind. 
keep in mind, in contrast with the other commandments, this was not. This one does not begin with a negative. It doesn't say you shall not. It actually is a very much a positive commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. As my kids used to say, there is something about the Sabbath that is all good. It's got good written all over it. So it's well worth our while to get it right and then bring it to life. And that's the focus that I've set on your sermon outline this morning. I've started off by talking about how to live with what God means. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate about what day is the appropriate day for Sabbath, and I don't want to get into an argument about the rules for how to, how to uh, behave on the Sabbath. I just want to touch into the heart of the manner. And as I read this command, I get the impression of how important this is to God as much as it is to us. You will notice that God says more about this commandment than any of the others. He only needed four words to address the commandment on killing. Thou shalt not kill. End of story. All it's written. But he uses 94 words here to instruct us to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why? Why so much? Because after studying this, I'm going to suggest a couple of answers. First, our lives depend upon it. And secondly, our relationship with God depends upon it. Let me deal with the first, that our lives depend upon it. It is probably the most obvious. With this commandment, God reminds us that we are only human and we do need rest. You and I know that there are limits to our strengths and our abilities. And as we grow older, those resources diminish as well. But God knows that as well. He created us and he gave us permission to be recreated. And with the Sabbath, he gives us permission to stop. The first word of instruction in verse 10 is, you shall not do any work. Give it a break. Six days, he says, get your work done, be diligent, but on the seventh, take a break. And then, in my mind, it gets a little bit funny. At least, to me, it gets funny. God knows us well enough to know what we would do with a command like this. I've got to take a break. I've got to stop. Okay, great. And then we would step back, and then what we'd do is start dumping off our responsibilities on others to get them done. Okay, if I've got to stop... The work still needs to get done, so I'm going to find a way to get somebody else to do my work for me. And so as they download uh, our burdens and our stress, we do it off on other people. So God cuts us off at the pass with that sort of thinking in verse 10. And in essence says, look, let me make myself perfectly clear. I do not want you to work. I don't want your son working. I don't want your daughter working. You are not to shovel things off on them. In fact, I don't want you to hassle your manservant or your maidservant to do what you think needs to be done. Give them a break too. And while I'm at it, leave your animals alone, would you? (laughs) You see that all right there? And by the way, if you've got any bright ideas about bringing in any help, I don't want you to invite guests over in order to do your work either. I don't care who they are. Aliens in the gate, I want there to be quiet. So shut her down. That's essentially what's being said here. Are you agreeing with me? Good, okay, thank you. See, part of the concern is a matter of rest. That's the word God uses as the personal testimony of verse 11. And for us, it's a good place to begin. 
Just as, as a battery can run down and needs to be recharged, so do you and I. Medical experts tell us, and I've read studies that prove, that people can do more work in five days than they can in seven. And that if carefully applied shutdowns and reasonably scheduled work uh, is, is, is set into place, it actually improves productivity. So shutting it down is a good thing. And it's not just a physical thing. One study has showed how deep fatigue can affect us mentally and emotionally as well. As a pastor, I've seen many people who have lost their nerves simply because they can't find a way to put things down. Years ago, back when we were in Chicago, I was having a dinner with a couple, the Hughes, Kent Hughes of the college church. The husband, uh, he was a pastor of a large and a growing ministry. His wife told the story of waking up in the middle of the night one night, and she found her husband kneeling at the side of the bed with his hands cupped. It looked like he was praying, and even though she had never seen him do anything quite like that, she was thinking, oh, man, maybe he's taking his spirituality to another level. And so she rolled over, and she went back to sleep, and then only to wake up a little bit later and found that he was still there and he hadn't moved a muscle. She called out to him. She said, Ken, are you okay? And he silenced her. He said, watch, I've got him all balanced. She suddenly realized that he was still sleeping and was having one wacky dream. So she nudged him, and he, and he woke up crying, oh, no! And as he told her about the dream he had just had, he explained that what he had done in his dream was that he had finally gotten a bag full of marbles balanced into a pyramid and was holding them in place and was afraid to move lest they might all roll away. Now that, my friends, is a man who needs a Sabbath. <laughs> God knows the dimensions and the weight of the responsibilities that we carry. And he knows what it can do to us. Uh, he knows the sleepless nights that we have. He, he knows the, 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 the limits of our, our capabilities. He knows the shape and the strength of our frame. And, and, and with all that acknowledged in his heart, he gives us permission to rest. And that's part of the gentle beauty and the attraction of this wonderful invitation that we have from Jesus that falls right in line with this command. Come to me, he says, you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you what? Rest. Sabbath. He really does care for you. He really does care for you. I wasn't going to do this. I'd stop my notes, but I feel like I need to say this. He really does care for you. He really does. He really does care for you. But his care does not stop right there. Restoring your soul takes more than just putting your life on pause. It, in fact, requires a relationship to refresh your heart, soul, body, and mind and bring it back together. Notice Jesus didn't say, Take off, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He says, come to me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find then rest for your souls. It's a relationship with him that brings that added ingredient, uh, ingredient that means the most. On your outline, I have it that 
the Sabbath, in the Sabbath, God engraves an invitation for you and I to join him in that moment of peace. It's a matter of fellowship and a reminder that you and I were made for something more than just the labor of our days. The Tenth Commandment appears in actually two places, in Exodus chapter 20 and also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. What is interesting about the Fourth Commandment is that it is different in each one of those two citations, in Exodus and as well as in Deuteronomy. The Sabbath is as much a part of him as it is to be of us. And in those two citations, God uses something about himself as a way to explain that commandment. In Deuteronomy, God gives a personal testimony about his role in saving and freeing his people, which is attached to the Sabbath. He says, remember, he says, you were once slaves in Egypt, and I'm the one who brought you out. I'm the one who flexed my mighty arm, and I am the one who... That is a mighty arm, isn't it? And I am the one who reached out with an outstretched arm. And then he repeats the commandment to observe the Sabbath day. It's almost as if he is saying, hey, let's get together. Let's have a reunion at least once a week. Let's reminisce about this special gift of the relationship that we share in ways he's inviting us over to his place for a reunion. <clears throat> the rabbi, Moshe Wolf, has probably the best statement on the, on the Sabbath when he said, when, when a man labors not for a livelihood but to accumulate wealth, he is not a man but a slave. Therefore, it, it, it is that God granted the Sabbath, for it is by the Sabbath that we know that we are not working animals, born to eat and to labor Alone, we are men and women created by God. And it is the Sabbath which is our goal, not our labor. It is in the Sabbath that we proclaim that we are not slaves, but we are free men. And if you take that picture from Joy Davidson back to Eden, and we're intended to walk in the garden in fellowship with him, and in there lies our joy. Do you know how important that is? You and I get so wrapped up in a work, we define ourselves by our positions, we even take pride in it. So much so that we forget what really matters most is that our, our only position that matters is that we are children of God. We are not slaves. We are free, for we are his sons and daughters. In Exodus, the picture gets even better. There, God explains his Sabbath by going back to creation. And he says, on the seventh day, he stopped. And let me make this one personal. It has helped me get really personal with Sabbath. When God was finished with creation, he was not alone. He had Adam with him in the garden. And when he, he would survey his creation and labor, he did it in that fellowship of those two together. For God, the Sabbath was not an excuse for him to hide away, to go to some celestial retreat on some lakeside on a planet somewhere in the universe. He did not have a beachfront condo in Birch Bay where he could run away. I just tossed that in because I lived there. Anyhow, um, but you know, it wasn't like he was going to get a retreat to get away from it all. For God, the Sabbath was not an excuse to hide away. 
but it was in fact to enjoy the relationship for which he had so diligently labored for those six weeks and brought him into that close relationship with Adam. There are some who describe the cycle of life in Eden that God would walk in the cool of the evening with Adam to discuss the day. The only verse I can find to support that is the day that Adam and Eve sinned and that sort of day-end fellowship was broken. But when we read in the Westminster Confession what our highest purpose is as humans, our highest purpose as humans is to love God and enjoy him forever, not just at the end of the day, but from the beginning of the day to the end of the day and all the night through, to enjoy him forever. And in some ways, the Sabbath is, in fact, our rehearsal for heaven where we finally get back to that Eden relationship. I have to conclude that the purpose of the Sabbath brings us back to the garden to join him in all of our life's labors to reflect on the value of our days and to see his work in our lives and in our world and then to linger over the sheer pleasure of his company. It's not an easy practice, especially whenever we live such frenzied lives, which is probably why God then had to make it a command. Keep the Sabbath holy. A few weeks ago, you may remember how we studied Psalm 46, the Shakespeare psalm. That'll help your memory. You remember that? How, uh, where the world shakes and the spears fly, and where the turbulence of life has achieved their, its highest peak. Turbulence is the, is the word of the day. Only to discover at the end of the psalm, there are words that bring peace, and the words are these. Be still and know God. Because, you see, it's the pleasure of his company and the richness of our fellowship together with him that we share. That is the product of this Sabbath command, to be still in order to be able to sense his presence. In the book of Revelation, there is a command. This command, I'm sorry, is made as an invitation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sure as I say the words, you will realize you know them by heart, but you may not have heard them described in such a way. The words are, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Most people think of those words as an evangelistic invitation to those who do not believe, to accept Jesus as their Lord and become a Christian. And that may be a very pleasant thought, but please do not be mistaken. This was not an invitation from Jesus to non-believers, it was an invitation of Jesus made to a church. To those who had already made their commitment to him, but who had allowed other things to get in their way and had left Jesus out in the cold. And so with these words, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any you hear my voice and open the door. I will come into him. I will dine with him and he with me. And with those words, Jesus is making a Sabbath invitation. Be still so that you can hear the knock on the door of your heart. You can hear the whisper of his still small voice and that you can open the door because it's time for the reunion and for the Sabbath to begin and to be done with Jesus Christ. And as I come to the end of the service, I do so knowing that it leads right in then to this place 
where we sup with him. It is a Sabbath event where he fulfills his promise, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. And that precious relationship that brings restoration and refreshment and life comes alive all over again. So would you open your hearts together with me as we are obedient to this wonderful command. And gracious Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that you take your relationship with us as seriously as we wish to take our relationship with you. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you give a spirit that might help us bring an end to the distractions so that we might become still before you. I'm so thankful that you've given us your Holy Spirit so that we might be attentive to your voice, but even more sensing of your presence. For, Lord, you know how we need you. And you see us, Lord, as troubled as we are, uh, many times with our resources coming to an end, and, Lord, while we are weak, you are the one with strength. And so we come to you in this moment with confession, full confession, that we've allowed too many things to come in the way. And we have left you out in the cold. And Lord, in confession, we confess our sins before you. With that appeal for forgiveness, Lord, so that the way might be made clear even at this point to come to your table, to once again remember you and take the bread and the cup so that our lives might be lived in your fellowship and under your care and we might find rest for our souls. We pray this, Lord, with thanksgiving in the wonderful name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.